very much. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 this morning. We're going to start reading there in verse 34. What has taken place so far, and I'll review this a little bit. We've had two different visions, if you will, take place. One with Cornelius, one with Peter. At the time of the visions, they're about 30 miles apart from each other. Peter is in Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. We got into the meeting last week where they met. And so now we're picking it up where Peter takes over. He's in the house, and Peter begins to preach. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth... Instead of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses God chosen before, uh, not unto all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And then his sermon gets interrupted. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard it, that heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the, uh, on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I do ask your blessing upon the message this morning. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Please help me to stay true to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would have free course, your word would have free course to work on our hearts and to draw us closer to you. Lord, give us understanding here of Peter's message. May we see it. Lord, and may it be a help to us. Lord, if there is anyone here who has never truly been converted, that still needs that in their life, Lord, I pray this morning for that conviction that, that even today they repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, may you be glorified, Lord. And we certainly need you, and I love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, this will be the last message this morning in chapter 10. And I, even though we're covering a lot of verses, I don't expect this message to be a, a very long one at all. It will be under three hours, I promise. Uh, no, I really expect this to be in the 30 to... Uh, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to be off. It'll be more than 30 or 40 minutes or something like that. But I really don't expect it to be that long. But this will be the last message in part three as we go through chapter 10 on the salvation of Cornelius. We saw as the chapter began, we are introduced to a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. A Gentile who had turned from the idolatry of his day, who turned from the pagan beliefs of Rome and, 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 and of uh, the Greeks. And he, he came to the conclusion that there's simply just one God and one creator. He started praying to that God every single day. And within that, it also began to change his life because he began to perform, basically, as we're going to see, works of righteousness. It was at that point God had sent an angel unto him and said, listen, you're going to sin for a man named Peter. This is exactly where he's at. You sin for him. He'll come to you and tell you what you need to hear. He does that. At the same time, while he was having his vision, Peter also had one. Peter, about noon, they're getting ready for lunch and he is upstairs and he goes into what the Bible says, a trance. In other words, all the only thing he could focus on was this event that was taking place. It was this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven, tied up, and within the sheet contained clean meats to a Jew and unclean meats to a Jew. 
And this took place three times. Again, the Lord stressing the importance of what Peter is witnessing. A voice came and said, uh, said to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, I, I will not do it. I-, I have never eaten anything unclean, nor am I going to start right now, is basically what he says. And then the, the voice came out. And he says, what I, have, what I have cleansed, call now thou common or unclean. And Peter was out of the trance. And at that very moment, there were some men that showed up at the house. And the Lord had said, go down. Those men seek for thee. I want you to go with them. He never said they were Gentiles. That was it. Well, Peter goes down, and sure enough, there's a Roman soldier that there. There's two other servants, and, 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 and Peter hears what's taking place, and they say, listen, listen, the one that we serve, the one who is my commander, Cornelius, uh, he, he had this vision, and he has, he has sent us to you, an angel has sent us to you, that you would come, and, and that, that we have to hear something that you have to say. And Peter has them come in that night. It was too late to leave. It's, it's, it's a good journey. It takes just about two days to get there. And so they stayed that evening. They fellowshiped. They talked, and which is amazing right there on its own, that he would have the Gentiles into his house. Remember, in Peter's view up to this point, what he had been taught since he was a boy is that the Gentiles are unclean. The whole purpose of the vision was God beginning to change Peter. He had to change what he believed. He had to change what he thought. In the Old Testament, God had put dietary laws on unclean meats for one primary reason. That was to cause a separation between them and the Gentiles. They would not be able to go to those feasts. It would lead to it. The Bible directly says that. And now here's the Lord all of a sudden stating, what I have cleaned, what I have cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. It's starting to click in Peter's mind that the Lord is doing something. And so we picked up where Peter then traveled with those men. He comes and he meets Cornelius. Cornelius is waiting for him. Cornelius had been busy. He went and gathered family. He went and gathered friends. They put them all into his house. Cornelius sees Peter coming. This is the man that an angel of God told him, you send for him and he'll tell you what you need to hear. Peter comes up and and he bows down before him. Keep in mind, this is a Roman centurion. The only man this man is going to bow before is Caesar himself. He bows down before Peter, and Peter, again, not worried about being some type of celebrity of himself or anything of the sort. He says, listen, you need to stand up. I'm a man just like you. And Cornelius tells him, I had the angel came to me. Third hour of the day I was there, this angel appeared unto me, and he said, I needed to sin for you. When I realized all that was taking place, I've gathered so many in here right now. We're here waiting to hear what you have to say. And that's where we pick it up right now. Peter enters that house. He sees all who are present. He's just astonished himself. And so we're going to look at three things here with Peter's message to him today. I put it as the receivers, the redeemer, and the response. Basically, it's who this message is for. He's going to start off with by way of introduction. Then he gets into his message, what the message is about the redeemer. And then we're going to see what happens as a result. So let's start off with The receivers, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Peter says, now I'm understanding. The Greek word, therefore, perceived is very interesting. It's, it's, it's a linear tense verb, which means, basically, he says, what he's, what he's saying by the verbiage of it and the usage of the grammatical structure, he said, I'm getting it. Even right now as I'm speaking, my understanding is becoming clear what God is doing. How God is no respecter of persons. How God's salvation goes to all men, all classes. He said, I'm getting it. This is the climax of that vision that he had. He's understanding, I get it. I understand why the Lord gave me the vision of the meats. It's, 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 it's becoming clear. He knows now that all men can come to God. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile is now broken down. Peter now sees it. He is seeing God's love for all men. Later on, he would write an epistle. He would put it like like this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The truth is, this has always been true of God when it comes to partiality. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 10 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This isn't the only place this is. This is about the only verse I'll go to 
this morning, but it's in several, it's in Second Chronicles, it's in other places here in the, in the first five books. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and, ter- uh, uh, um, a mighty and a terrible which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. It, again, there's several verses that say just that, that God is no respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 says just that. God is no respecter of persons. This is, Peter's now getting the understanding. I mean, he heard Christ tell him directly, go and preach the gospel to every creature. No doubt that was confusing to them. I mean, they were brought up, you separated from the Gentiles. I mean, when you entered back into Israeli land from a Gentile country, you did not dare bring the dust from that land to pollute the soil in Israel is how they believed it. But Peter now sees it. He says, I'm understanding it. God is no, he's entering into, no doubt for the first time in his life, a Gentile's house. He has a group of people there waiting to hear what he has to say. Now we have to deal with verse 35. You don't want to miss this because this verse is misused. Back in Acts chapter 10 and verse 35. Let me read that verse again. We need understanding of this verse. He says, but Peter is preaching and beginning his introduction of his message where he understands that God has no respect for persons. This message goes to all men. And he says in verse 35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So we need to visit this. This is a verse used by some to justify the teaching that a person can actually gain salvation, gain an entrance into heaven, be saved, even if they have never heard the name of Christ. That certainly is not what this verse is teaching. It's a feel-good teaching of our day, though. One that explains what many try to wrap their head around about those who have never heard or grew up in a different religion. So this is a verse that's commonly used to try and justify that teaching. But is that what this verse is teaching? As you're going to see, no, it's not. Not at all. Keep the context in mind. It always answers the question. Always. Peter has learned that here's Cornelius, this Gentile man, this Roman centurion who is seeking God. Peter is now seeing what God is doing. And he makes the statement, I now know a man who, if there's any man who fears God and worketh righteousness, is accepted. Cornelius had turned to God the best he knew how with the knowledge he had. And coming to the conclusion that there isn't, there isn't a polytheism, there, there, there isn't uh, uh, um, uh, uh, all the other isms that exist, he came to the conclusion there is one true God. He chose to place his faith just in that fact. And it affected him. He forsook the idolatry. He prayed to the true God. He started doing what was right. As a result of him responding to the light that he had, the the revelation of, of a true God, it changed him. And the Lord took notice of his actions. So being accepted by God, what we learn from this verse, involves two things, the right attitude, fearing God, and right actions, working righteousness. So when God sees a man respond by changing his attitude and his actions, God looks at him and there's an acceptance that is present. But it doesn't say that he is saved. This does not say that he is saved. We think of that because of the common phrase that we use today, have you accepted Christ, meaning salvation. Don't forget the context What is Peter dealing with in his introduction? Peter is dealing with this fact. He now is understanding for the first time in his life that the gospel goes to all men. That it's not based on who's accepted with God, uh, who, who can receive this message. It's not based upon nationality, but it's based upon the person's heart. And God responds favorably to a man with the right attitude and right actions. He doesn't base it on, well, what nationality are they? That's what is being taught here. 
So, in other words, if a man responds to the light that has been given, which I dealt with in the last couple of weeks, you know what God does? He always gives more light. Always. Listen, when we teach this in Bible college and Sunday school and whatnot, we call it general revelation. That even through creation itself, because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why is that? Because look around you. Look at the beauty. Look how perfect this is. For a person to believe this came from nothing is absurd. To believe that I can make some stone little God, and he all of a sudden is the creator, is absurd. For me to believe that, you know what, God is in this plant right now. He's, he's in me, he's part of this table. That's absurd. We're dealing with such incredible knowledge and incredible wisdom and incredible power. That even through creation itself, it screams at you. There is a God. There is a God. And when you respond to that, you know what God does? He gives more light. If you look at your own testimony, you, you probably have something you can look at, but you see the same thing. I am convinced I was going to get more light. Those evenings I would spend on the summer out in my yard, staring up at the sky, wanting to know the Creator. I was responding to the light that was given. <clears throat> Whether it's the Ethiopian eunuch, whether it's Cornelius that's here, God will always provide more light. That's what it's teaching here. This is exactly what happened with Cornelius. God saw him respond. And so the Lord responds. Again, had he been saved by works, there would be no need for Peter whatsoever. If this was dealing with that, he would have no need for that. Not at all. However, his actions... Put him in a place where God has shown, and that has meaning in that word accepted, by the way, favor. He's going to get more light. Do you remember why Capernaum was going to be judged uh, um, stronger than even Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember the Lord said, talking about Capernaum, this middle class Jewish town where the university was. He let him know, your judgment is going to be so strong, worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of all the light that had been given. And they still reject it. <clears throat> Based on Cornelius' change in attitude and change in action, God sends more light. Look over in Romans chapter 2. Look in Romans chapter 2. It, it goes through this process. Verse 11, I quoted it earlier, for there is no respecter of persons with God. Let's continue on and see which way it goes with this. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, they, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, um, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets uh, of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There he's going back to the Jews, he says, back to the Gentiles. He said, I got news for you. Even the law of God is written on their hearts. There's a conviction that takes place. Whether, whether uh, when God Lord sent me to New Guinea in those villages, well, before they ever had any missionary of any sort there, uh, you know what happened? When they stole something, there was conviction. They knew, ah, this just isn't right. It isn't right. So God is dealing with the fact of what God has put in place between the hearts of men, creation itself, that when man responds, God does give more light. He does. It's not based upon nationality that God gives light, but it's based upon the heart. Look over back in the, the book of Acts, chapter 11. Again, many try to use this to claim that 
oh, this is salvation. It is not. It is teaching that this is what God does respond to when he's given more light. And I'm going to prove it right now in Acts chapter 11. Let me find the verse here. Yes. Peter is rehearsing all that had taken place um, and dealing with what Cornelius had saw. Verse 13, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now look at verse 14. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. He was not saved yet. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ, period. That's why the command is given to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why Peter is sent forth here. That verse is in, in no way is it dealing with the idea that this man is already saved because of his actions. What it's saying is God took notice and favor because of his actions and God sent more light as a result. So Peter starts off the message by telling them, salvation, I get it, is available to all men. All men, anywhere. Then he gets into his message. Let's go back to this. Acts chapter 10 here, verse 36. The words which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He's covering the life of Christ right now. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And whom they slew and hanged on a tree, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, now to all, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge. By the way, isn't it interesting when I teach how to witness to somebody, we start off right there. You better know he is the judge. Of, of the quick and dead. To him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So let's stop here. Let's get into the Redeemer now. Let's get into the message. They know it's now available, but they need to know how to get it. That's what Peter goes to. So Peter's message now turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And he says, listen, this peace comes from God. This is not dealing with an unsettled heart. That's not what the peace is dealing with. It's not dealing with that matter of confusion or unsettled heart. He's dealing with the fact that men are separated from God. All right, enmity against God. And that the answer to the separation from God to be at peace with Him is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Him. Just like Romans 5 deals with that right now when you were born into this world, you are at odds with God because of your sin that has separated you from Him. And that there's only one way that that can be changed and that is through what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Nothing else. That's it. That we are justified uh, 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 through what Christ did through his blood. He then tells them as he's going through this. He goes, by the way, who this is, who I'm going to get ready to tell you all about his life. He's Lord of all. He's God. He's Lord of all. This is just isn't any other man. This man, Jesus Christ, that was here. He is Lord of all. There is no other before him. Could you just imagine being in Cornelius' house right now? Hearing, hearing Peter preach this. Learning of this. That this creator that sent this angel, that he was just on the earth. And Peter says, you've heard of him, there's no doubt. Caesarea is, is not that far from Jerusalem. His fame spread abroad. He goes, I know you've heard stories about this man, Jesus Christ. He tells him, I am a witness of all that this man did. I walked with him, Cornelius, for three and a half years. I saw it and I heard it. I was there when it all began at the baptism of John, how God had anointed him. Again, Peter is going through this with Cornelius. He's getting ready to take him through the life of Christ. 
he tells me, he says, listen, Cornelius, I was there at the baptism. When John was here, we heard this man, John, preaching near my town. Of him preaching that the Messiah has arrived. And then, and then all of a sudden, here comes this man. The first time I set eyes on him, he's walking to the Jordan River to get baptized, Cornelius. I was right there. I witnessed it. I heard this man, John, who we all knew was a prophet of God. He spoke with power. And he yelled the words out, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I stood there on the shore as he went and he was baptized of this man. And all of a sudden we heard a voice from heaven. Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I couldn't believe it. Boy, it was just a day or two after. I had just come in from fishing all night long. Cornelius, I was there for this. I just got in fishing all night. I'm still on my boat. And here he comes. The crowds are already following him. And he begins to preach. And he gets on my boat. And I'm basically trembling before this man. And, 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 and he tells me, he says, launch out into the deep. Let's go out a little ways. Let's go fishing. He said, like so many foolish things I've said to him, I said, listen, Master, I have toiled all the night. I have fished what I am supposed to fish. Uh, 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 and, and I didn't get one thing. There's nothing there. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll, go, we'll, we'll let down a net. Cornelius, I went out just a little ways. I threw my net over. Within seconds, it was packed. I couldn't believe it. It was just packed. The net broke. I was astonished. The Lord looked right at me. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, I was there. I began following him immediately. For the next three and a half years, Cornelius, I would be with this man. I was there when he went by, he, we went by the, the, this mount and, and a, a huge crowd together. Thousands were there. He preached one of, the, uh, one of the most important, one of the most powerful messages I have ever heard. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. I heard this man preach and go over the law of God, literally deconstructing what I understood it to be. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. Not as the Pharisees and the Sadducees speak. Oh, when he preached and we, when he taught, you just knew it was truth. You hung on every word that he said. It was incredible. Listen, I was there when he did the miracles. Not only did I hear him preach, Cornelius, but I was there. One day, I, again, I said something so foolish. We're walking down and there's a blind man that we all knew well. He'd been blind since birth. And, and like a fool, I said to the Lord, who has sinned, this man or his parents? And the Lord rebuked me. He said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest. And then he went over to him and he healed him right there. Cornelius, this man had never seen one day in his life. Just like that, his vision was back. You should have seen him rejoicing. It was such a powerful miracle. He was barred from the synagogue. It was incredible. I was there. I witnessed his miracles. One night, one afternoon, we had around 15,000 people there. Cornelius, think of this. There's 15,000 people present. We're in Galilee. The Lord says to us, feed them. Like, what? Let's feed them. Only thing we could find is five loaves and two fishes. The Lord said, that's enough. I watched him pray. And I watched the miracle of creation take place. With five loaves and two fishes, we fed 15,000 people. By the way, there's enough food left over in our baskets. We have 12 baskets left over for us. And then it didn't stop. Cornelius, you're not going to believe there's one night. Uh, I, I, right after that left, the Lord sent us to go to the other side. So we get in the ship. We're going to the other side. And, and a storm hit. We're, we're, going, it, it, we're going against the wind. It's difficult. We're even fearful for our lives. We're not going to make it. Yet we know this is what the Lord told us to do. We're here. And then all of a sudden, this fear hit us. We saw the Lord. He wasn't in the boat with us. He never came with us. He stayed back. And then we look out and we can see him walking on the water. Cornelius, I witnessed this. I saw it with my own eyes. He's walking on the water. Cornelius, I said to him, I said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come on the water. I got out of that boat. I took steps on the water. But then when I saw the wind boisterous, I sank like a rock. 
And I cried out for the Lord to save me. He didn't even hesitate. He grabbed me and he took me up. We get on the boat and get this. He just simply spoke to us. He rebuked the wind. The storm was gone. The weather is obedient unto him. Oh, at that moment I knew. Just bowing down in fear of who this man was. We were back on the shore. This is some months later. We have crowds all around Christ where we're traveling at this time. And, and, and a man comes up. He was the ruler of our synagogue. He was in charge of it. He comes up to me and says, listen, my daughter's about to die. Please come quickly, my daughter's about to die. And the Lord starts to travel that direction. And I, another miracle took place of this woman who had been this infirmity for years had touched the hem of his garment and she was healed instantly. And right after that took place, one of the synagogue servants came up and said, your daughter has just died. No longer bother the master. And I saw the brokenness on the dad's face. As he heard his daughter had just died. And the Lord turned him with such compassion and said, just believe. And he kept going. We get to the house and the people are already wailing. He calls us into the room to where the body was. And the body, Cornelius, she was dead. Dead. He has everybody leave except for myself, James, and John, who you'll meet. And the mom and dad. He had him stay right there in that room. And I watched him get on his knees before that dead body. And I'm just there shaking, wondering what's going to be taking place. And he says, Made arise. Cornelius, that lifeless body. You can see the life coming into it. You can see all the gasping taking place by mom and dad as they ran over and hugged her neck. And I'm just staring at the Lord, at the power that he has. It was incredible. It was amazing watching him work. I watched him, I watched him cause the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. Miracle after miracle, Cornelius proved who he was, that this was in fact God in the flesh, the Messiah. I was there. This one. We used to stay at a house when we had traveled to Jerusalem. We usually head to Jerusalem, Cornelius, once a year. Most of Christ's ministry took place up in the Galilee region. But there are certain times we would head to Jerusalem. We were in Jerusalem when we were in that area. We usually stay with a man named Lazarus. We became friends. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And so we are a bit away and servants come to us and they said, Lazarus is sick, he's nigh unto death, please come. And by this time, we're almost confused. We know the Lord can just speak it and heal him, but he doesn't. Nor does he leave right away. He waited two days. But he told us, this is for you. That's why I'm waiting right now. And so we traveled. Little did we know that the day the servants left to tell us, Lazarus died. By the time we arrived, he has been dead for four days. He's in the tomb. And we get there. And I'm wondering what the Lord is going to do. He's going to the tomb. Cornelius, I was there. I saw it. I'm a witness of this. This isn't some story. I watched the Lord begin to cry with the people. He wept with them. Even though he knows what's getting ready to happen, he begins to weep with them. And then as we're all gathered... You could tell he waited for people to arrive. They were going to see his power. And he tells them, remove the stone. Cornelius, he's been dead four days. He stinks. He's telling them to remove the stone. And they do. They move the stone. Cornelius, nobody's saying a word. By this time, this is, this is more than three years into his ministry. We've all seen his power. We've all seen what he can do. Nobody's saying a word, but we've never seen anything like this yet. Once the stone was removed, you heard him cry out, Lazarus, come forth! We all stood there staring at that tomb. And all of a sudden, you could hear the rustling inside. 
here comes this body still bound in grave clothes coming out of the tomb. It was incredible. At that moment, you can hear everyone. I just stood there looking at the Lord, glorifying Him. But what had just taken place? Oh, but Cornelius, I wasn't always faithful. No. He was telling us right after that. He took us aside for several days, teaching to us and preaching to us. And he told us time and time again how he would have to die. And on this occasion, when he spoke it, I rebuked him over it. But he still showed such compassion. I knew I was wrong. He, 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 he said, get me behind me, Satan. And that was just crushing. The night he was arrested. In Cornelius, all this had to take place. I was just beginning to understand. The night he was arrested, he was betrayed by one of us twelve. The night he was arrested, they had taken him. I mean, I was crushed. I wasn't understanding. I didn't get it. I was wondering if a, if a kingdom was coming. I, I thought a literal kingdom was going to be coming. But now I'm starting to understand the kingdom he was talking about is going to be in our hearts. He was arrested and taken. And I'm trying to stay faithful. I'm trying to stay close. He's going through this mock trial. And then I was recognized. And people started to call me out. A woman had noticed me. said, hey, there's one of his followers. There's one of his disciples. And I denied him. By the third time, I cursed and said, woman, I know him not. If you could have seen that moment, the Lord had it arranged that at that very moment, I denied him that third time, our eyes would lock. Cornelius, this wasn't a look of disappointment. It wasn't a look of what have you done. It was of grace. I remember the words he told me right before he was arrested. Peter, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. They took him. They began to beat him. Cornelius, you're a Roman soldier. You know exactly what I'm talking about when they beat him. When they punched him in the face, they mocked him. They took this crown of these thorns. You know the thorn I'm talking about. It's all over our region. They placed it on his head and the blood flowed. They scourged him. Cornelius, it was brutal. You couldn't even recognize his back. Cornelius, then they took him and they crucified him to a cross. Cornelius, but as he was there on that cross, I couldn't believe that they had just crucified him. The blood was flowing. And right there as he is on that cross, all of a sudden the words of John the Baptist, I'm beginning just to understand, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He told us he would rise again from the dead. We were waiting for Sunday morning. All of us in shock, still not quite understanding. All would become clear, though, shortly. We're waiting. And all of a sudden, Mary runs in. The body is gone. The Lord is gone. Cornelius, I took off that Sunday morning running for that tomb. I was one of the first ones there, me and John. I went in there stunned. The body was gone. I couldn't believe it. That evening, that evening we're all gathered talking about it. What's going on? Is he alive? Did they steal his body? What's taking place? Oh, and he appeared to us. The risen Savior. Oh, we just dropped down on our faces, calling out to our Lord and our God. He had risen from the dead. For the next 40 days, sometimes he would come, usually on those Sunday mornings, coming and teaching to us and preaching to us. I was there when he ascended back to heaven. I watched him. Cornelius, at that time, he commanded me. He had said, listen, you are going to preach. You're going to preach exactly what you've seen. You are a witness. You will preach that the same Lord Jesus is now the judge. And that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And at that moment in his sermon, he didn't get finished. 
something took place. You see the response come in. At that moment, the Holy Ghost falls. The men and all those present, the men and women in the house didn't need anything else. They just heard the gospel. As soon as they heard, they were on every word that he said. They believed it. As soon as they heard, all you have to do is place your faith in him and he will save you. They did it right there. The Holy Ghost came down and Peter's just in in shock. To verify this, that this is true before the seven Jews who are present. There's seven that are present. Peter, and he brought six men with him. They speak with tongues. This is the third time that it takes place in Scripture. Or this is the second time of three times that it takes place in Scripture. Every time it was, the third time not nearly as major, but certainly important for what was taking place there. The first two times is a major, major event. The day of Pentecost. And now here with the first Gentile coming to know Christ. And the Lord did, the Bible tells us that the gift of tongues, which is just the ability to speak a foreign language. The Bible's clear on it over and over. It was never some mystical language between you and God of a babbling. Never. It was the ability all of a sudden without ever learning to speak a foreign language. And they heard him do it. My guess is Cornelius at that time is speaking perfect Hebrew. Right to them. They're astonished because they know it's true. The gospel's for all men. And there are times when you're preaching the gospel, I've had it happening, where you don't even get through it. They get it. I've mentioned this before, I believe, but there was, I was on furlough from New Guinea. My, my laptop had broken down, and so I took it to get repaired. And as I was leaving, I, I, I'd only been to States about a month at this time from the furlough in New Guinea. And there was a Books a Million extra. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the bookstore. I went into the bookstore. I was in the religious section. There was one other man there. He was kind of like in a work uniform, big guy. And uh, I had noticed him. I didn't talk to him, though. And, and he did look a little troubled. And he called to me. He had said, can you help me for a second? He said, I'm trying to find an ESV. He said, can you help me with that? Because, you know, going through all these Bibles. Now, don't worry, he's going to leave with the King James Version when we're done here. But that's not my argument with him right now. <clears throat> and I asked him, I said, sure, I can help you with that. I had said, I said, may I ask you, why is it, why is it that you're looking for that? And, and he said, and you could just tell, he was, he was a big, big guy. He said, he goes, I just went to church on Sunday for the first time in a really long time. And, and the, when I was leaving, the pastor said, I should go and get one. So I'm here. He was on his lunch break. And you could just see the trouble on his face. And I said to him, I said, I said do you need to talk? I said, I'm a pastor, a missionary. Would you like to sit down and talk? He said, yes, I would. And there's a coffee place in there, those really nice bookstores that know how to do it right and have coffee right there where you can sit down. And, and so we head over there, we sit down, and he tells me how he'd really messed up. And he lost his wife. She left him two weeks earlier. She was gone. He says, so I went to church. And anyhow, I'm going through the gospel with him. I get down to almost the same same point, just as Peter, I've covered it all, all that is necessary, but I have not given an invitation or asked him anything yet. He's across from me at a table. I completed it. I didn't have to ask him anything. The man right there, completely on his own, on his own tears streaming down his eye, drops his head and calls on the Lord to save him. Listen, the gospel, it's so powerful. You can see the response here and all that's taking place as Peter gets interrupted. Again, they hear him speak with tongues. Again, this is not some mystical language. Do you know that never came about until 1902? Where was it at for 2,000 years? And here the Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, um, uh, 14 as well as Acts chapter 2, it is a foreign language. When they said at this time in this vernacular, they didn't say you spoke a foreign language. If you spoke a foreign language, you spoke another tongue. It isn't rocket science. We just like to, uh, what we like to do, we don't like to walk by faith. We like to walk by sight. And that's something in our mind we can see. The devil's more than happy to provide an avenue for that. So we see the response of those who come to know Christ. We see they magnify God. Could you imagine how excited everyone in that room is? Rejoicing. They did it. And they have so much more to learn. I'd imagine how many in the house are so thankful for Cornelius too. For coming to them and saying, please come to my house. You need to hear this. 
They're understanding this is what life is all about. This is why they're here. So we see the response in those who come to know Christ is they begin to magnify God. And there's obedience. They're obedient to baptism. As we can see here, it's true every time. Now, there is something wrong. If you have been saved, but you don't want to be baptized, something's horribly wrong right there. It is. There's something wrong. It's not the baptism that says, like you said, it is the faith that leads to the remission of sins. But that is your public profession. That is you telling all of us and is what God has ordained. To say, I believe Jesus has died for me, was buried, and rose again. It isn't a sprinkling. That doesn't picture a death, burial, and resurrection. Boy, they were obedient unto baptism. And then thirdly, what also happens for those who come to know Christ. You know what they did with Peter? They said, please don't leave. Stay. Stay. They played with him. They prayed him to tarry certain days. Please. Could you imagine the fellowship they had over the next few days? As they began to grow, Cornelius so excited. He's one of those men I can't wait to meet in heaven. Cornelius. Again, within this, is the same message that all men need to hear, that you need to hear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Period. That's it. It's not your way. It's not this church's way. It's not in the church. It's not in the waters of the baptistry. It's in Jesus Christ. And what did, he tell, what did Peter tell Cornelius that God told him to preach? You better preach that I'm the judge. Because you will die one day and stand before Almighty God and He will judge you. He's not going to look at you and say that this is such a lie of the devil. He's not going to look at you and say, you know what? You and I, we got our own thing worked out. You're a pretty good person. That's not how that's going to happen at all. He is, the Bible tells us exactly how it's going to take place. He's going to open some books. One of those books is going to have your name on it. Inside that book is going to be every single time you've broken the law of God. The only thing you're going to hear is that you are condemned already. And you will be cast into a lake of fire. Something has to take place when you stand before the judge that you look perfect. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He provided a way for you to look perfect. You see, God does love us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what He did in order to satisfy His justice and His holiness, through His love, He became a man. John 3, 16. Now you have God here on the earth as a man. 30 some years. He lived the perfect life. He's the only one who's ever been on this earth that could stand at the judgment day as a man. And the Father could say, you're innocent. I find no fault. You're perfect. He's it. But listen to me. He lived the perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, you've heard preachers say it all the time, that Christ died for you, and that's very true, but we don't understand that nowadays. What does it mean that a man 2,000 years ago, how, how does his death, what do you mean that's for me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 teaches us. It's talking about the death of Christ on the cross. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. When he died on that cross, what happened was this. A transaction took place. God the Father placed upon his perfect son the sin of mankind. And he judged him in your place, satisfying justice. He was judged for you as if he was the sinner. But hell didn't hold him. You will not come out. You're not God. After three days and three nights, he arose again from the dead defeating death, the, the penalty of sin. At the same time he takes your sin, the verse teaches us, he gives you his righteousness. You look perfect without sin. And if you'll come to him, just like it says, in repentance and faith, in Christ alone, he'll save you. Just like those in the house of Cornelius. It's the same way. With heads bowed and eyes closed.
If you're here right now, say, Pastor, as you're preaching, boy, I need that. I am not certain that I am saved. I don't know for certain that heaven is my home. I don't know what would happen to me, or I'm concerned I would go to hell. If, that, if either of those are you, say, Pastor, please pray for me. Just put your hand up where I can see it, and you can put it back down. Anybody here like that, just quickly put your hand up and then put it back down. I see that hand. Anybody else? Just put your hand up and put it back down. Yes, I see that one as well. Anybody else? There's been a few. Anybody else? Quickly say, listen, I need that. I don't know that I have that. Amen. For those of you that put your hands up, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. It's not an accident you're here. What you had just heard is the truth of God. What the Lord Jesus Christ did in order to save you. It's not in this church. It's not in good works. It's in what the Savior did. You are here right now just like Cornelius getting more light from God. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And you say, Pastor, please, I want to know more. I have workers standing here right now. They can take you aside quietly and see if you understand. You can make that decision whether you want to or not, whether to put your faith in Christ like Cornelius and his household did or not. But you say, Pastor, yes, I would like somebody to talk with me, please. All you have to do is look up at me and I'll quietly send them to you if that's your desire. Just look up at me. I'll give you just a minute. I know this decision, I, 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 but it's important. All right, I'll pray for you. If you want to come forward, many are going to be coming forward to pray. You can do it, then you can come forward here. I can have them meet you even down there and talk. Even after the service, you want to talk with me. I'll, I'll certainly talk with you. And Christian, are you not thankful for the light that God has given? What He did in each of our lives. Listen, life is all about Him. Don't ever lose the excitement and that privilege of knowing the gospel. Father in heaven, bless this invitation. Work in hearts and lives, Lord. I pray this. Lord, in Christ's name, Lord, I do pray especially for the two, Lord, that raised their hand. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing on their heart that, Lord, if, if not today, that so soon they would repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Please bless now, Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 131. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.